Hello, it's Monday, the 7th of November, and welcome to another edition of Korea 24. I'm your host, Kwon Jang-ho. President Yun has vowed to get to the bottom of failures in the response by authorities to the Itaewon crowd crush tragedy. This as police open investigations into six high-level officials for gross negligence. We'll have more in news briefing shortly. The WHO recently warned that 500 million people could develop chronic diseases by 2030 due to a lack of physical activity. We find out more for our in-depth today. And then coming up on Monday's Sports Roundup, we have the latest on Song Min's injury, which is threatening his place at the World Cup. Let's begin Korea 24. There is no comparison to what parents who have lost their sons and daughters are going through. But as president, who is tasked with protecting the people's lives and safety, my heart is broken and heavy. I am sorry and apologetic to the bereaved who are suffering through this inexpressible tragedy and to the greater public who are sharing in the pain and sorrow. In the face of such unbelievable tragedy, the government must not only handle this disaster responsibly, we must pour all efforts into making a safe South Korea in which such a tragedy never happens again. President Yoon Seung-yeol has promised to get to the bottom of what went wrong in the country's emergency response to the Itaewon crowd crush just over a week ago now, and to hold to account those found to be responsible. For more on this and our other headlines of the day, we're joined in the studio by KBS World Radio News Editor Eunice Kim. Eunice, hello. Hello, Jango. So the week-long national mourning period is now behind us, and as various probes picked up steam... President Yoon Sung-yeol spoke out on the national safety system as he chaired a meeting on it with regular, with relevant senior government officials. Can you tell us more on what he said? Yeah, during the morning period, President Yoon had reserved much of his remarks on the systemic deficiencies that led to this greatly unfortunate loss of more than 150 lives during uh, Halloween festivities in Itaewon over a week ago. On Monday, though, he expressed his commitment to determined responsibility for the slow response to the Itaewon crowd surge, as more is becoming known about the several rounds of calls for help some hours before the crush that would happen at around 10, 10 p.m., and the slow, if not interrupted, institutional response to a tragedy that many are repeating could have been entirely avoided. The slow apologies has, of course, not gone unnoticed, and the president tried to calm the nerves of people who are now more unsure of the country's readiness to respond. Let's take a listen to more. Fellow South Koreans, the government will do its best to make South Korea safe by thoroughly getting to the bottom of the incident and actively revamping the safety management system. I'll see to it that the government works to help the public get back to their everyday lives. I'll take care of it myself. 
President Yoon also stressing the need for various safety management systems to handle crowds based on their form and location, adding that large crowds are not an uncommon fixture of life in South Korea, which can pose a dangerous situation. In particular, the president stressed the need for large-scale reform of law enforcement, noting that the police had failed to promptly respond to the crush, despite the early signs of danger. Yeah, he made these remarks in front of Police Commissioner General Yoon Hee-gun and Interior and Safety Minister Lee Sang-min, who were among those present at this meeting on the national safety system. Let's take a listen to what he had to say. To better respond to various dangers in our society, there is a need for an overall institutional review of the authority and responsibility of nation's safety management system and the system for swiftly reporting incidents. In particular, a massive overhaul is needed of police duties focused on the prevention of accidents and emergency preparations to protect the public. So the meeting was conducted in a closed-door manner after these opening remarks, but the participants were expected to have discussed ways to improve the country's rules and institutions on disaster and safety accidents, as well as address old structural problems, including a passive response posture strictly based on manuals. Belatedly, we are hearing from the presidential spokesperson who said that the president uh, said he could not accept these excuses, that there was no manual. What did the police do for four hours and that it was beyond common sense that the Yongsan Police Department was unaware of crowd data on that street that was so close to the main road in Itaewon. This comes as the police have opened investigations into six high-level officials involved in the deficient response on suspicions of gross negligence that led to death. Can you update us on this development? Yeah, the National Police Agency's Special Investigation Headquarters is zeroing in on six individuals for what is called death by occupational or gross negligence. This does include Yongsan District's dismissed police chief, Im Jae, who reportedly failed to answer the president's call on the night of that incident, nor did he uh, respond or call back. And Ryu Mijin, who was in charge of the Seoul Metropolitan Police Agency's emergency call monitoring at the time. The fire chief and the district head also under the microscope, as are two other officials from the Yongsan police station suspected of abuse of power and destruction of evidence in connection with a deleted report and analyzing the risk of safety accidents. The police are also looking into whether the Yongsan district office poorly handled requests for support by related organizations and whether the fire department did enough in response to emergency calls. Investigators have finished analyzing some 600 items and are reportedly going through 6,500 surveillance footage recordings from the accident site. Let's switch over to news in the military space next. Coming off the completion of week-long joint aerial drills with the United States, South Korea's military are now engaged in the Teguk military drills. Can you tell us more about these drills? Yeah, so these are computer-simulated command post exercises held annually, which means there is no field element as in 
our more recent joint exercises have that have triggered the ire of North Korea for weeks. South Korea's Joint Chiefs of Staff said the Taeguk training kicked off a four-day run on Monday, aimed at preparing for various threat scenarios involving North Korea. The JCS said the defensive drills will focus on enhancing operational capabilities amid various threat situations, including those similar to recent provocations and also those involving nuclear weapons. With these exercises, November does become the fourth straight month that South Korea has held military drills, starting from the Urchi Freedom Joint Exercise with the U.S. back in August. North Korea, meanwhile, via its state media, has said that its missile firings and other military action were tit-for-tat responses to South Korea's military exercises with the U.S. It also claimed that it fired two missiles past the southeastern coastal city of Ulsan, during a four-day military operation last week. Right. It is a claim that South Korea's JCS has refuted, saying that not all of the North Korean reports are true and that it did not detect any cruise missiles in the Ulsan region. According to North Korea's Korean Central News Agency on Monday, the general staff of the Korean People's Army gave a detailed account of a set of operations conducted last week between November 2nd and 5th, including the firing of two strategic cruise missiles just 80 kilometers off the coast of Ulsan. So again, Seoul's military noting that despite the lack of North Korea's reporting on any anomaly in last week's ICBM launch, it stands by its evaluation that that missile had failed mid-flight. In other news, a South Korean naval ship took part in an international fleet review hosted by Japan for the first time in seven years on Sunday, marking a thaw of what's been a very icy relationship between the two countries. Uh, What do we know about how it went? Yeah, so South Korea's 10,000-ton logistics support vessel, the Hoyang, was among a host of naval ships from 12 countries, including the U.S., Canada, Australia, and India, participating in Japan's fleet review at Sagami Bay in Kanagawa Prefecture on Sunday. It is the first such presence of South Korea since 2015, of course, coming as the neighboring countries together with the U.S. are strengthening their military cooperation amid North Korea. Korea's nuclear weapons and missile threats. Video clips of the event showed sailors aboard the Korean vessel joining their international counterparts, saluting in the direction of Japan's multi-purpose destroyer, the Izumo, carrying Japanese Prime Minister Fumio Kishida. There had been concern over Seoul's participation as the flag of the Japan Maritime Self-Defense Force does resemble the rising sun flag, which is, of course, widely viewed as a symbol of Japan's imperial past. It was cited as a major source of concern by critics as Seoul considered its participation in the event. On to COVID-19-related headlines next. Health authorities have called for all high-risk groups to be vaccinated against COVID-19 with a winter resurgence of the virus seemingly, quote-unquote, inevitable. Mm -hmm. The head of the government's advisory panel on infectious diseases, Chung Gi-sok, predicted on Monday that based on past winter pandemic trends, another wave of the virus will occur in December, even if there is no new variant. 
He explained that the consistent spike in winter derives from the season's prevalence of the virus and the relative decrease in viral immunity, as he appealed especially to those at risk to get their vaccinations. This comes as all adults in South Korea now will be able to get their bivalent COVID-19 boosters produced by Moderna and Pfizer. According to the Vaccine Task Force, inoculation of Omicron-specific boosters for people between the ages of 18 and 59 who signed up in advance began on this Monday. And with the winter season approaching, heat-related costs in the nation have been found to have soared by nearly 40% this year amid skyrocketing energy costs. Can you Mm -hmm. tell us more? Yeah, according to the Korea District Heating Corporation, the heating costs for households per megacalorie jumped over 37% from March to October. This, of course, amid price spikes triggered by the global energy supply crisis. This is the first time since... Since 2015, when the heat cost system was reformed, that the cost has risen more than three times in a single year. That's all for our news briefing today. Thank you for those updates. You bet. Coming up next, in-depth news analysis. You're listening to Korea 24 from KBS World Radio. The World Health Organization released its first ever global status report on physical activity last month, and it included a stark warning. It said nearly 500 million people worldwide will develop heart disease, diabetes, obesity and other non-communicable diseases or NCDs between 2020 and 2030 due to a lack of physical activity unless the governments take urgent action to address the issue. To talk more about the report, we have joining us via video call now Dr. Rudiger Krech, the Director for Health Promotion at the WHO. Dr. Krech, hello and thank you for being on the show today. Hello, it's my pleasure. As I mentioned, this was the first report of its kind by the WHO. Can you walk us through how the report came about and some of the main findings? Yeah. So, first of all, um, we were uh, asked by our member states to uh, give them an update of the status. Where are we in in terms of uh, physical activity? Um, And um, so um, the the picture is... um, uh, is a bit mixed. So uh, we see that uh, you know, about two-thirds of all countries have taken action to measure physical activity in their populations, which is already a good start. But then we also find uh, that um, uh, much too many people are not physically active enough. Um, for instance, in, in your country, about 95% of the adolescents are not physically enough, and that's really worrying. Well, 95% here in South Korea of adolescents uh, being physically inactive. What does that actually mean? What is physical inactivity defined as exactly? Yeah, so um, you, should, you should be 150 minutes per week physically active. That means that you're uh, really um, uh, walking, you're cycling, you're moving your bodies, you're using your muscles. 
Um, and if that is not done, then we see all these uh, risk factors for a lot of chronic diseases. Right, so uh, 150 minutes per week, and you can do it every week, every uh, move counts, as we say. Um, so um, um, it's important that people start moving back. And it starts not only with doing sports, it's also the way we uh, move around. Uh, if we use the public transport, if uh, we're not using the remote control on the TV sets, if we're taking the stairs and not the elevators. So these things matter. Uh, for our health um, and and to prevent a lot of disease. Right, so it's not difficult uh, activity, uh, but we can perhaps incorporate into every a part of our everyday lives. Uh, what sort of consequences could there be if these uh, issues are not addressed? Uh, the report says physical inactivity can increase uh, the case of non-communicable diseases. Uh, what does that mean exactly? Yeah, so these are uh, cancers, cardiovascular diseases, heart um, attacks, for instance. Uh, it's diabetes, um, it's chronic respiratory disease as well. So, um, you know, um, um, diseases of our heart, um, of um, our um, respiratory um, system, so breathing, um, and cancers and diabetes, these are the main, main risk factors if we're not physically enough. And as you say, uh, it's not uh, difficult. Well, that's true, but there's also um, environments. Um, a lot of environments today, cities, um, are no longer having the green spaces so that we can go out and walk. So we're actually counting on, you know, uh, urban planners, on policymakers to make uh, environments which are conducive, more conducive to uh, be physically active. Uh, if you have cycle lanes in uh, the traffic, that would be, um, and, and they're safe, then of course many people more would perhaps use the bicycle instead of the car. Um, and so we're actually calling on policymakers and decision makers to actually give priority to those um, uh, infrastructures that would again promote physical activity uh, that we have lost over the years. Well, the situation in South Korea, particularly among adolescents, sounds quite severe. But how uh, widespread is, is this issue globally? Are there different findings depending on uh, region or maybe economic status? Is this an issue that affects certain yes. types of countries more than others? That's true. Um, so, um, in you know, to give a global picture, um, about um, 75 percent um, uh, of adolescents, um, especially girls, are not physically active enough. Yeah, boys are slightly more active than girls. Um, over in, in adults, if I may just come back to the figure for uh, South Korea, it's 54% a, a of adults are not physically active enough. Every second person in Korea should be more physically active. And um, if I then take again uh, some regional foci, we know that in the African region, um, uh, the, the situation is slightly better. There are slightly higher levels of physical activity. Um, and it uh, is very different between urban and rural areas. Um, uh, so in, in urban areas, people are less physically active uh, than in rural areas yeah. as well. Right. Mm -hmm. So um, that is that is just to give you a broad picture of, of, um, of the globe. 
And I imagine the recent COVID-19 pandemic hasn't helped the situation either. That's true. Um, while um, we're, we're still looking, uh, you know, um, it, it's a bit um, um, unclear. There, 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 there are some people who have been physically more active if they were having access to green spaces and where the lockdowns weren't as severe. So whereas in countries where the lockdown was severe and sports clubs also were locked down, you're absolutely right, then um, while uh, at the start of the pandemic still people tried to, to download some apps to, to be more physically active, then in the course of the pandemic it seems that people were less physically active mm. and um, had more sedentary lifestyles overall. Staying fit and healthy is, of course, good for the individual. But uh, the director general of the WHO, your boss, uh, Dr. Tedros Ghebreyesus, said uh, the benefits are huge not only for the physical and mental health of individuals, but also for societies, environments and economies. Could you expand on that thought a bit more for us? How does encouraging individuals to stay fit affect the wider society? And so how important is it for the government to get involved and ensure that people stay fit? Yeah. So we, we now also calculated the costs of physically in, physical inactivity. And it's actually uh, quite, uh, quite um, uh, considerable. It's 27 billion US dollars every year. And to just put this, uh, and that is because you then have to treat people with those chronic diseases. Um, and to put this into context a little bit, this would mean that we could actually um, educate with that money, the 27 billion US dollars, if we had them available uh, to the world, we could actually train much more health workers. We could therefore really reduce the burden of, of um, uh, the health workforce um, crisis um, that we have in many countries. We could address that globally. And so therefore, we could have enough uh, health workers around the world if only we were more physically active. Um, so just to give you, therefore, uh, an idea, um, the, um, the, 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 the costs um, uh, attributed to physical inactivity, so with then the diabetes that is created through this, the cancers, the cardiovascular diseases, this is a main issue. Um, it's not ne negligible. Uh, the economic effects of the policies that drive us to be more and more physically inactive. So therefore, we need to counterbalance this with policies. Uh, don't many governments already have uh, policies in place to uh, try and ensure that people are healthy? Yes, um, that's true. Um, however, what we also see that um, if you just take... Um, Techno technological advancements, um, you know, more and more people are actually sitting in front of their screens like we are doing now. <laughs> and they're doing this for more and more hours during the day. And so um, we need to counteract that through um, environments then that um, help uh, you and me uh, to, to go out and walk or take the bicycle much, much more often. Hmm. Uh I'm starting to feel like I should have renewed my uh, gym membership before we started this interview as well. <laughs> uh, in some countries, though, uh, yes. there are also some infrastructure issues as well, perhaps uh, not enough green spaces, as you mentioned, or places that you can safely uh, 
walk, run or ride a bike or engage in physical activity. How much of a concern uh, is that situation? Yeah, it's it's uh, really a big concern because in in especially in the cities, you know, um, land is very expensive, and in in a lot of cities, um, you, you sell that that land to construct buildings on on them, and therefore you reduce the spaces where you can uh, actually spend your time. The green spaces where you can spend your time being physically active. Now this. Um, again, uh, has huge implications um, uh, um, on um, the stress that we have in, you know, living in cities or whether we can have um, relaxed um, spaces as well and also um, spaces where we can be safe. Uh, in, in a couple of um, uh, countries uh, around the world, now it's culturally unacceptable, especially for girls, to go out on their own um, uh, to, to leave the apartments um, is no longer feasible or acceptable in, in, their, in, in, in culture. Um, so um, one then needs to um, look at what does this mean? How can we support especially young girls mm. uh, to get off the sofa and not just chat with their friends, but actually, uh, you know, come together and go out together, join up and and be physically active outside. In some countries, it's uh, getting more and more difficult. So therefore, we need those social programs as well, where people, um, you know, join up and do sports and do physical activity together. So it sounds like there are a lot of factors to consider. Uh, then how can governments tackle this issue and encourage more physical activity, what does uh, the WHO recommend? Yeah, so we're calling for actually um, uh, active societies. And that means um, that um, you, you look at uh, safety issues, the lighting of um, pathways, of um, uh, in establishing bicycle lanes that are safe, um, uh, and and uh, parks that are safe, so that uh, especially girls, but um, you know everyone can go out and enjoy um, that uh, time of the day in being physically active. If that is not done, then of course you you rather stay at home, and that's what we can now see is is actually reducing overall levels of physical activity. Now, um, that um, therefore, um, it's, it's uh, policies, definitely, but it's also um, a, a cultural change that we need to um, steer in, in countries um, so that uh, people see it as a positive to be physically active and, uh, and not as a, a thing of the past. So that's, that, you know, together, um, if, if that is done, uh, together with uh, with the opportunities um um then we hope to at least mm. uh, you know have have you know counteract the decline uh, that we see sure with that message we're going to have to leave it there uh dr Krek, thank you for being on the show today we appreciate your time we've been speaking to dr rudiger Krek, the director for health promotion at the world health organization thank you once again for your time my pleasure Welcome to the Korea 24 Stock and Forex Update. 
The benchmark Korea Composite Stock Price Index rose 23.36 points, or 0.99% on Monday, ending the day at 2,371.79. The tech-heavy Kosdaq also rose, gaining 6.59 points, or 0.95%, closing the day at 700.48. On the foreign exchange, the local currency strengthened 18.1 against the dollar, ending the day at 1,401.21. You can check Korean stock and forex closings at world.kbs.co.kr. We continue on now to our daily segment, Korea Trending, where we take a look at some of the other news stories that have been trending online in Korea. And for that, we have a new contributor with us today to bring us those stories. Diane Yu joins us in the studio Diane, hello and welcome to the show. Hello, thanks for having me. Yes, it's a pleasure to have you with us today. Let's jump straight into our stories. What do you have for us today? So first, we'll take a look at a story of a male in his 20s who was falsely pinned as the instigator of the Taiwan crowd surge tragedy. Next, we'll also go over some positive news on the two miners who were rescued from a recent collapsed mine in South Korea. And we'll end with the new owner of Twitter, Elon Musk, laying off employees across the social media company. Okay, so for our first trending topic, we're going back to the Itaewon tragedy and a story related to it. Can you tell us more? Right. A male in his 20s who was accused of being the instigator of Itaewon's crowd crush that left 156 dead and 152 injured has denied the allegations in an interview with a local investigative TV program. The interview has been trending online since being aired on Saturday, and the accused said he was innocent and is looking to take legal actions on the people who revealed his face online. And just uh, today in this afternoon, the police cleared him from the charge and closed the case on him. Okay, so how did this person... Uh, become the alleged main culprit in the first place. So from the night of the accident, some survivors and witnesses who were at the scene shared their experiences online. What dominated social media was discussion about a male who had been wearing a black headband with rabbit ears, and that the man and his friends had purposely pushed the crowd, ultimately resulting in the crowd crush. Netizens managed to lock in on the male and shared an image of his face online. Many pointed to him as the instigator and asked him to turn himself into the police. Meanwhile, images of his face continue to be circulated online. Right. So people online did some of their own detective work Mm -hmm. and found this man who allegedly uh, pushed people in the crowd and said he was to blame for the disaster. Right. Uh, But you said he denied this in this uh, TV program. Mm -hmm. What did he say during the interview? Uh, Where was he when the tragedy took place? Right. So he expressed his innocence by disclosing the smartphone messages and photos he had exchanged with his friends to the TV program's production team and to the police as well, as well as the transportation card payment history in order to prove that he wasn't in Itaewon at the time of the tragedy. Mm. According to the details disclosed by him, he got on the subway at Itaewon station at around 9.55 p.m. on the 29th of October and got off at Hapjong station at 10.17 p.m. So the crowd crush occurred at 10.15 p.m., which would place him away from where the tragedy happened. Right, so he was in Itaewon, mm-hmm. but had left by the time the incident occurred. Right. That seems pretty conclusive, and as we said, the police also seems to agree. Right. Uh, this is the danger with these sorts of online investigations. Mm-hmm. It could uh, become a witch hunt without the facts being verified. Correct. 
as he, as we said, he said he will be looking to take legal action against those who accused him, but we'll see how that goes as well. Right. Well, let's move on to our next story. What do you have for us? Right. So the two miners rescued from a collapsed mine in southeastern South Korea are quickly recovering, according to their families and medical doctors. Bang Jong-hyo, the doctor treating the two patients at Andong Hospital, said at the press briefing on Saturday that they were to start eating meals and he expects the two will be discharged in days. The two miners, both surnamed Park, aged 62 and 56, walked out Friday night after being trapped for more than nine days in the zinc mine in Bonghua County, 244 kilometers southeast of Seoul. They had been stuck in a vertical shaft about 190 meters underground since the mine collapsed on October 26th. Yes, this was some welcome good news mm-hmm. amid all the darkness last week. It's been dubbed the Ponghua Miracle. These mm-hmm. are two men surviving in a collapsed mine for nine days with nothing but water and instant coffee powder as well. Uh, And as you said, they managed to walk out on their own two Mm -hmm. feet as well. Uh, Now that their conditions are confirmed to be getting better, the investigation to find the cause of the accident and preparation to prevent the same accident from taking place, I'm sure, must be in full swing. Mm -hmm. The police and the Ministry of Trade, Industry and Energy conducted a joint investigation today to intensively look into the safety of the underground tunnel and have launched a probe determined the cause of the mine collapse. The South Gyeongsang Provincial Police Agency are now questioning five miners who escaped the site right after the collapse as witnesses and plan to question officials of the miners' company later. The police will also try to determine if related government offices have fulfilled their duty of properly supervising the firm as this collapse occurred just two months after another accident that caused two casualties. Have the relieved miners said anything when they were rescued? On Saturday, one of the miners, Park Jong-ha, told a local media outlet, quote, the sound of the blast that seemed so far away was a real one this time. And then we saw the rescue workers as the tunnel opened up from the other side, unquote. He went on to thank the rescue workers and everyone who supported them during this time. Yes, it is quite an incredible story. All right, let's move on to our final trending story for today. What else uh, do you have for us? So Twitter on Friday laid off 50% of their employees in departments across the company in a severe round of cost-cutting after just one week billionaire Elon Musk acquired it. 3,700 people, of which 980 of them were reported to be employees of the headquarters in San Francisco, California, were included in the list of layoffs. They were notified of their dismissal by email and were immediately deprived of access to the company's computer system. Yes, and staff in South Korea were also subjected to the chopping block too, right? Mm -hmm. Employees in South Korea have also felt the impact. And although the exact size of the reduction has yet to be determined, it is known that about 25% of them have been notified. Numerous employees began posting on the platform Thursday night and Friday morning that they had already been locked out of their company email accounts ahead of the planned layoff notification. So this was indeed a worldwide cull. However, according to some reports, it seems that uh, the social media giant has backtracked on some of its decisions. That's right. Twitter is now asking some of their former employees to return to work, according to Bloomberg. Insiders told the news outlet on Sunday the social media company had made a mistake with some workers being dismissed before management figured out the importance of their expertise that may be necessary to build Musk's envisions. 
Now, this has sent shockwaves through the world, and I understand the United Nations has gotten involved in well. Urging Musk to protect human rights on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Even with the United Nations has expressed concern about the situation, which is unprecedented. The UN Health Commissioner of Human Rights, Volker Turk, on Saturday issued an open letter to Elon Musk and urged him to quote ensure human rights are central to the management of Twitter unquote. In his open letter, Turk said that reports of the new owner laying off the platform's entire human rights team were. Quote, not an encouraging start, unquote. Okay, we'll wrap it up there for Career Trending. Diane, thank you for bringing us those stories. I hope you enjoyed your debut, and I believe <laughs> we'll see you again later this week. Thank you, Jango. I'll see you tomorrow. We continue on now to Monday Sports Roundup, our weekly segment covering the latest sporting news and updates. Joining me on the line now for that is sports journalist Yuji Ho from the Yanap News Agency. Jio, hello. Hope you're doing well. Yeah, I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for asking. Uh, we'll go first into some football news because South Korea's first match at the FIFA World Cup is about two weeks away now. But the team was dealt a massive blow last week. Their captain and star player, Son Heung-min, underwent surgery after suffering fractures around his left eye, and this puts his World Cup status in doubt. Jiho, can you walk us through what happened exactly? Yeah, it's just about the worst nightmare scenario for the Korean national team as their captain and also the best player, Son Heung-min, suffered an injury during a Champions League match last Tuesday against Marcel. Uh, so he headed into the shoulder of an opposing defender, his left eye was almost swollen shut, and his nose bled as well after the, the uh, collision. Uh, Spurs, Tottenham Hotspur said at the time he wouldn't need surgery to stabilize the fracture. Uh, the procedure took place Friday uh, in London. Uh, at the time, it sounded like a broken orbiter bone. Uh, British media reporting that he had suffered four fractures around the left eye. Uh, the club did not give a, a specific timeline for his return, uh, but it is unlikely uh, given the severity of an injury, that he would be 100% ready for Korea's first match against Uruguay on November 24th. Uh, Korea's next match, the second match, will be 28th of November, and then finally December 2nd. Uh, you know, an injury of this nature, I'm not a medical expert, but uh, you would think, you know, with athletes having suffered similar injuries in the past, this typically requ- requires anywhere between six and eight weeks of uh, recovery. Uh, the time does not seem to be on Son heung side. It's going to be in, in race against time at this point. Right. I know his uh, club team head coach, Antonio Conte, said uh, he thinks Son will be fit for the World Cup, but no one mm-hmm. really knows for sure at the moment. What does this then mean for Korea at the big tournament? You know, Korea, I think, would have been in a tough battle with Son min in the mix. Uh, and if he cannot go, or if he's only able to go at a, at a sort of, if he's limited, let's say coming off the bench just for a few minutes here and there, then Korea will be in really hard pressed to make it out of Group H against Uruguay, Portugal, and Ghana. Uh, you know, Son Heung-min is not just the best player on the field. I mean, he's really the heart and soul of this team. He's the captain. Uh, a lot of the younger players gravitate toward him off the field. Even some of the older guys, not that many, but some of the older guys really lean on him to stabilize things on the field as well. So. Uh, you know, this, I always believe this is a team that can only go as far as Son Heung-min can take them. Mm. And if he cannot play 100%, it's really difficult to see where the goals are going to come from. 
uh, especially given the struggles of play, play, uh, players like Hwang Wijo and Hwang Yi-chan at the club level. So uh, the offense is going to probably dry up. Uh, so I don't know. I think Korea will have to really lock things down defensively and look for counter-attack counter, uh, counter opportunities against opponents. Sure, I know. All Korean fans will be praying for his return uh, for at least the second game anyway. Uh, in the meantime, hopefully head coach Paolo Bento will have a plan B and the rest of the team uh, will do their best to cope well without him. Let's, uh, in the meantime, move on to baseball and the championship series. The SSG Landers and the Kium Heroes are all tied up at two games apiece in the best-of-seven Korean series. So the series is proving to be quite dramatic. Jiho, Game 5 is on Monday night at Incheon. How has the series gone so far? Yeah, you know, I'm actually out here covering the, covering the game at, uh, at uh, Landers Field out in Incheon. Uh, the Heroes stole the first game here uh, last week, 7-6 victory in 10 innings last Tuesday, and the Landers responded with a uh, 6-1 victory uh, the very next day. Uh, and the team split the next two games in Seoul, 8-2 for Landers on Friday and 6-3 for the Heroes on Saturday. So for Game 5, uh, it's, a, it's a rematch between the starting pitchers from the opener, uh, Kim Gong-hyun for the Landers and Anu Jin for the Heroes. Uh, neither pitched particularly well in the game. Uh, An especially was pulled in the third inning after a blister in his right middle finger popped and he started bleeding. Uh, so he was uh, not able to go after mm. that. Uh, Kim Gong-hyun just a little shaky in the middle innings. Uh, but uh, going back to Anu Jin, though, he'd been set to pitch on Saturday, but he got some extra rest over the weekend to let his finger heal. Uh, so he's back out on the mound. Uh, obviously a very big game for both clubs. Sure. Some might have expected the Landers to win the title comfortably, especially mm-hmm. after their wire to wire regular season uh, win. But it hasn't quite worked out that way. Why do you think that is? You know, you make a good point. I think a lot of people expected them to kind of ease to the title this time. And the fact that Heroes have pushed the series to at least six games uh, because it's best of seven, mm. that to me is a small victory in itself for the Heroes. And I think the Landers, especially the first game, uh, you know, they had a chance to win it. Uh, and the, also the f- fourth game over, over on the weekend, uh, they loaded the bases four different times, six, seven, eight, and ninth innings, and only scored twice from those chances. So I think they might be you know, gripping their bats a little tighter at this point because just because they're the heavy favorites and uh, they haven't really run the table yet sure. uh, despite their regular season record. So it's going to be interesting how they respond to the kind of pressure of being the favorites and being expected to win the title. Indeed. And how do you think the rest of the series will play out this week? You know, there, if you look at the history, there have been 10 Korean series where teams were tied at 2-2, like, like this one. And the team that won Game 5 went on to win the series 8 out of those 10 times. So this is a very, very big game for both teams. Uh, and if the Lenders can pull one off tonight, uh, Monday night, I think their rotation will be set up pretty nicely. They've got Wilma Fawn to won Game 2, seven innings and one run ball. He's going to be ready to go Game 6 with a chance to close it out. Uh, and if he cannot get it done, Tuesday, then Game 7, they've got lefty Owen Suk ready. He had an excellent game in Game 3 as well. So they've, they've got two excellent, really good starting pitchers coming up if they can close it on on, on Tuesday. So whereas the Heroes, they're a little, uh, they have a little less depth on the front, uh, but so they're going to have to outscore some of the problems on the, on the mound. Right, so it'll be about stamina, really. Who can last the series? Game 5 is going on as we speak. Game 6 is on Tuesday, and if it goes the distance to Game 7, that's on Wednesday, we'll see who has has come out on top then. 
Let's uh, finish with some news coming out of the figure skating world. Korea's own Kim Yerim won a silver medal at the third ISU Grand Prix set up in, uh, in France over the weekend. That's the best performance by a Korean women skater since Kim Yuna, and also the first Grand Prix medal for Kim Yerim herself. So can you tell us more? Yeah, Kim Yerim scored 194.76 points in total to finish second to Loina Hendricks of Belgium, who had 216.34 points in the third leg of the uh, Grand Prix season. Uh, Korean skaters have really excelled this season, especially because uh, Russian skaters have been ruled out following their country's invasion of Ukraine. So that has opened the doors for skaters from countries like Korea, countries like Japan, some other places to really take advantage of that opening. Uh, you know, Kim will skate in the fifth event of the season in Sapporo later this month. Uh, so she's going to try to qualify for the Grand Prix final uh, later this year. She had a bit of a shaky start to her free skate, uh, falling down on her opening triple lutz and triple toe loop combination. But she was pretty solid after after that, the, pretty much the rest of the way. Uh, once again, uh, fell on an attempt on a uh, triple sakao, but uh, uh, not enough to take away a medal from her, her first in, in a Grand Prix season. OK, we'll wrap it up there for the roundup this week. Jiho, thank you for those updates, and we'll speak to you again soon. OK, thanks for having me. My name is Son Tejin. You're now listening to Korea 24. We finish up as usual with our closing segment, Morning Edition Preview, where we take a look at some interesting features reports coming out in tomorrow's newspapers, namely the Korea Times and the Korea Herald we thank for providing us with their early editions to make this possible. And for that today, we're doing a bit of a reshuffle as Walter <laughs> Lee, our regular contributor for Career Trending, is here with us now. He's filling in for Richard today. Walter, hello. It's uh, good to see you in this section of the show. Yeah, it's good to see you. It's a little bit different this time, isn't it? <laughs> Indeed it is. OK, I'm sure I'll do fine, though. Uh, OK, so what's the first story that you have for us today? OK, so first is an article coming out of the Korea Herald on the number of households in Seoul set to decline from 2030. OK, so the number of households in Seoul set to decline from 2030, so a few mm-hmm. years from now. Right. Can you tell us more? Yeah, so the capital city of South Korea is one of the most expensive places to live in the world, actually, and this has caused many people to find cheaper options outside the hustle and bustle of Seoul. It is predicted that Seoul will start to see a decrease in the number of households starting from 2030. Now, according to statistics in Korea, in 2020, the number stood at 3.95 million households, but is expected to grow through to 2029 to 4.12 million. Right, so it will continue to grow for a Mm -hmm. few more years, but the decline is starting to show already. Mm -hmm. How big is the drop starting from 2030? Okay, so from the start of 2030 to about 2050, the number is projected to drop to 3.79 million, which is 160,000 less uh, than 2020, or 600,000 less, sorry. So now you might be asking where everyone will be heading instead. Well, the surrounding province, known as the Gyeonggi province, is expected to see a hike of 6.8 million households in 2044, and this is up 1.8 million more than 2020. Okay, so Gyeonggi province is going to get more and more crowded, it seems, then. 
yes, so <clears throat> that is a trend we're seeing. Uh, what kind of knock-on effects that will have will be interesting to see as well. Right. Let's uh, move on to our uh, second story. What else do you have for us today? Yeah, so next story is out of the culture section of the Korean Times and an article by e g u r i on the OTT services looking to diversify portfolios and what seems to be a war amongst these streaming services. Right, when we say OTT, of course, mean, as you said, ser- streaming services like mm-hmm. Netflix, Watcha in Korean, or Coupang Play. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this industry is getting ever more crowded. So companies are trying to figure out how to survive in this so-called war. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are some of the domestic services looking to add into their library then? Yeah, good question. So Korean streaming service Watcher has added webcomics content to their platform, now debuting eight original Webtoon-style shows from October 13th of this year. One of the shows that are running at the moment is a Webtoon ad- adaptation series called Join My Table. Now, Watcher are not afraid to change things up. As early as this year, they announced their Watcher 2.0 project, which also also plans to expand into music as well as more video content. Right, I think a webtoon uh, section is very interesting because if that webtoon is popular, they, that can be adapted into a new TV series as right. well. A lot of people are doing that at the moment. Uh, are there any other streaming services then looking to try and compete as well? Yeah, so Coupang Play, which is the streaming service from the company of Coupang and TVing, are looking to look towards more live events that include exclusive content as well as sports matches. Mm. Now, Korean football fans may remember that Coupang Play was the company who organised the two exhibition games in July, which saw English Premier League side Tottenham Hotspur FC take take to the pitch against the All-Stars of K-League and a Spanish team, Sevilla FC. Yes, I believe Coupang even tried to buy the rights to air some Olympics, Mm. uh, Olympic footage last year. So you can see their strategy there. It'll be interesting to see what other sorts of uh, tactics and strategies Mm. uh, these companies uh, try uh, to survive in this uh, war, as you said. Okay, we'll wrap it up there for today's uh, More Edition preview. Thank you for bringing us those stories, Walter, and we'll see you next time. We'll see you next time. And that's where we wrap up our show today. Thank you for staying with us. We'll be back same time tomorrow. So we hope you join us again then for more news, views and reviews from Korea. Till then, we hope you have a great day. I've been your host, Kwon Jang-ho. And thank you, as always, for listening. Goodbye. KBS World Radio.